Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. What a powerful name it is. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah tonight. The powerful name of Jesus. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to join me tonight in the Old Testament book of Joshua. So if you make your way there to Joshua, and uh, tonight we're going to be in Joshua chapter number five, okay? Uh, And by the way, just glance around this room and give the Lord a little hand clap of praise. How many people on Wednesday night came out to worship the King of Kings? Amen. Uh, They tell me, I had talked to a man this last week, said, we don't do Wednesday nights. We think Wednesday nights are a thing of the past. And I said, I think Wednesday night's a thing in the future. You need to get on board, amen. And God's people really want to get together in the middle of the week to be encouraged and uh, get into the Word of God. And uh, so tonight, as we do that, I want to make sure everybody has a copy of our of our outline. And so uh, some of our greeters told me uh, maybe they didn't get them out. So if you'll hold your hand up, if you did not get one, all right, they're going to make their way down those aisles and uh, make sure that you get a copy of our outline. Y'all still okay with getting an outline on Wednesdays? I know I ask you that about every three, just to make sure, you know, I don't want you mad at me, and uh, i like for us to get along together as best we can, right, amen, as the people of God. So, hey, I hope that you'll use that tonight. Uh, go along, write that, fill in the blanks, but also write some other things that, as the Lord speaks to you through the message, you know, make you some personal notes on that thing, and, and uh, go back and spend some more time. I encourage you to do that before you go to bed tonight, and maybe first thing in the morning, be a great way for you to start the day. Uh, Joshua chapter number five. Today, as we're thinking about that song, aren't you, aren't you thankful that uh, the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus, that the grave couldn't hold him? And today, as uh, I was uh, interviewed on a podcast called uh, Defining, or excuse me, Divine Appointments, uh, Dr. Travelstead was asking questions about uh, the life that uh, Christ has given me and, and the difference that he's made in my life and my my young years versus my teenage years, young adult years, my family, my wife, my children, uh, this church, all that God has done in my life is proof positive that God is able to do anything with anybody, anywhere. How how many of you have hope in Jesus tonight? Uh, I was reminded about that uh, as we went through that today, and I'm just encouraged to share this word with you. The title of our message tonight is one word. It's just the word identity. Identity. Who are you? Write that down somewhere. Who are you? Write down the question, who am I? And I've oftentimes gotten you to think about, if you've gathered with us at, at all, I've gotten you to think about that question. In other words, how would people define you? First, how would you define yourself? Uh, maybe you'd say today, I am. Uh, if I was to sit down by you, uh, Connor, and say, tell me a little about yourself. Uh, you would say, well, uh, my name's Connor and I, and you would just kind of fill in the blank, right? You'd tell me some things about yourself. And some of those things that you would tell me, some of those things that you would share with me would be identifying factors, hobbies, uh, things that you do, things that you like to do, how you spend your time, things you like to talk about, things you research, where you spend your money. Uh, It says a lot about, uh, your life says a lot about who you are. Did you know that? And did you know that sometimes the lens of who we think we are and who we really are can be two different things? You've heard me say this many times, we're beautiful liars. And you've heard me ask this question, who do we lie to the best? Ourselves. And sometimes we're fully convinced that we are this way, but the truth of the matter is we're actually that way. And we need people in our life, don't we? Uh, That love the Lord, that are not in it to hurt us, uh, but but are in it because they love us and want to call us up, not beat us down. To, To be honest with us sometimes about who we are or maybe who we're being or who we're becoming. As I shared my testimony today, I thought about Uh, One of the monumental shifts in my life that cost me the most suffering, and that was in my high school years, uh, when I went from identifying as a child of God who was seeking after God in his word, you know, from the age of nine when I was born again, until about the age of 16 when I started getting noticed uh, in the sport of football. And so what happened in that, in that time, say sophomore year, junior year in high school, um, my identity shifted. Has yours ever shifted? Have you ever moved from like who you were and you became something 
and your actions and your thoughts and how you lived your life really was not who you really see yourself as. You ever, you ever sort of wake up and, and have an aha moment? Sometimes, sometimes the wake up was with your head in your hands uh, going, oh my goodness, how have I gotten to where I am? Anybody done that besides me? And so during that time, when I shifted from uh, uh, the follower of Christ and my identity being in him to the football player, oh mercy, let me tell you what I found out. Can I tell you a little bit about my personal journey? I found out that football does not make a good God. It can't comfort you. It can't bring peace to you. It can't heal the wounds of your heart. Uh, it can't satisfy the longing that's there. It can't speak truth to you to call you up. It can't do really anything except entertain you for little small portions of time. And so, boy, it led to some very dark years in my life when the identity shifted. Hey, maybe it is that you look at your life and you were somebody before and you're somebody different now. Can anybody testify to that? And maybe that somebody that you are now is more like Jesus than you were before, and that's a wonderful thing. But, but maybe, maybe there's somebody in our midst tonight, some of us gathered together, that would say there was a time in our life that we were closer with the Lord and our life looked more like Jesus and, and we were really following him with more energy and enthusiasm and passion and commitment than we are today. And I've got good news for all of us as we read Joshua chapter 5, okay? Identity. Now, let me give you some backdrop. Can I do that? Good. I'm going to take liberty and do that. And what's happened is God has called a man by the name of Abram out of a place called Ur, way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis means origins, where something originated, uh, beginnings, if you will. Makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, Genesis. So we have origins, origins of mankind, origins of all kinds of things. But it also is the origin of the Jewish people, the people that are specifically called out by God to be uh, his covenant people. Okay. Now he called Abram out of Ur and he said, I want you to go to a place and I'm going to tell you where, but I want you to leave everything comfortable behind as an older man and go to a place. I'll tell you when you get there. And crazy enough, Abram did just exactly what God said to let me make a statement to you tonight. Here it is. You and I, when we act on faith and do exactly what God says do, on the other side of that is great blessing. So Abram then is known as Abraham, and Abraham follows the Lord, and God begins to develop a nation out of Abram, out of Abraham. And as he does that, the people of Israel grow, and they find themselves uh, in a place called Egypt, and they are there, and as while they're there, they grow into a nation uh, greater than the Egyptians. And so what the Pharaoh says... <laughs> Is there a threat to us? We've got to do something about that. And so he, he became a, a harsh taskmaster or, or a harsh slave master to the children of Israel. Y'all tracking with me? And as God did that, God allowed that to happen because his people were constantly drawing close to him. Uh, things would get good, uh, forgetting him, going their own way. When we forget who we are, uh-oh, and we go our own way, what comes next is disaster and calamity, and they'd cry out to God again, and God would send a deliverer, and he would rescue them. Isn't God good to rescue us? And he would do that for them, and then they would things would get good, and they'd put it on cruise control again, and they would go after other gods, and it was a repetitive cycle. Sounds sort of like some of our lives, doesn't it? And so we find ourselves where Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt in bondages, as we read through the book of Exodus, right? And uh, God has not allowed Moses to go into this promised land called Canaan, a land flowing with, somebody help me out. Boy, you guys are, I'm telling you, boy, I love the fact that you people listen and that you store it and that you are not an unlearned people. I love, I love the fact that we are not there yet, but we're becoming a people who are a people of the book, aren't we? People of the book. So uh, as they've left out of Egypt, and it's, I'm not going to go all the details of that, but I love that series we did through Exodus not too long ago. Wonderful uh, understanding of how God delivered them. But Moses disobeyed God and how he spoke to the people and struck the rock. Remember, he was supposed to speak to the rock. Instead, he spoke to the people. He did, wasn't supposed to call them names. He called them names. He strikes the rock. The water comes. And God says, because you didn't do what I said do, you are also not going to go into the land of Canaan. Now, speaks a lot about Moses, doesn't it? Because at that point, I don't know about some of y'all, but I know that my tendency, because I still have the nature of Adam residing in me, might have been, okay, well, you're not sending me in? Fine, you have these people, lead them yourself, right? And it would have made sense for him to at least done it half-heartedly, right? 
but not Moses because he loved God and he loved God's people. And even though he knew he was not going in the promised land, he still loved those people who were stiff-necked and hard-headed and hard-hearted and spoke against him. And he kept on pressing on because he, he loved God and he loved God's people. You know what? When you love God, you can't not love his people. Now, we're hard to love sometimes. I better get an amen right there. We're hard to love. We, me and you, hard to love sometimes. But you cannot love God and not love his people. The book of Matthew says you're a liar, okay, if you, if you say that. Now, what happens is they're about to cross over the Jordan River into the land called Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses has died. And because of Moses' death, God had prepared a young man, a man who would now assume that role of leadership. And his name, if you know it, say it with me. Joshua. Joshua's Old Testament name is the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. Yahweh or God is salvation. How about that? So Joshua uh, takes, uh, assumes the role uh, under, he'd been under Moses' tutelage. He had been in the tabernacle of meeting with Moses. Matter of fact, you'd see times when Moses would go out to the tabernacle meet and meet with God, and then he would leave and, and Joshua would stay there. And so he learned in the presence of God, and he learned in the presence of the man of God, and now he's got to that place where God's called him to lead his people. And the Bible says that God exalted Joshua above the people so that they saw God's evidence on his life, and therefore they followed his lead. Now they're approaching the Jordan River, crossing over. The Bible tells us very specifically how they did that. God gave them specific directions, but I don't have time to get into all that tonight. Let's just go ahead and say they crossed over the river. Now, how many of you in the room knew that God's people crossed over the Jordan River? Raise your hand. Okay, let me give you a couple of other fast facts. Not only did they cross over the Jordan River into the promised land, the land of Canaan, how many of you knew that they were some between one and a half, one and one and a half million strong? How many of you just learned that for the first time? Right? That's a big group of people. And when we read our storybooks as children, we had a little picture of God's people walking in like in a single file line across a, a little place in the river. But when you study it, geographically, it tells us two cities. They cross it at, at, at Jericho, but the river stopped from Jericho to a city called Adam, which is one and a half miles wide. So the river wasn't just a little narrow passage where they had to kind of ease through, you know. Uh, they got to walk wide and deep as they walked across the river, all right? Now, they've walked across the river. They've been wandering in wilderness because they didn't believe that God could do what God said do. What he said he was going to do. I'm going to give you that land. Okay? Now, you remember Moses sent 12 spies. They took a vote. They went and looked at the land. They came back and took a vote. How many remember the vote? What does the vote count? Ten to two. One spy for every uh, tribe in the, in the nation of the people of Israel and 10 of them came back, even though God said, you can, okay, because of who you are, you will. And the people came back and said, because of who we are, we can't. 10 said no, two said yes, Joshua and Caleb. Boy, you got, listen to you guys. Well, you know your history of the people of Israel. Now, some of you are looking sad and looking downtrodden. Hang on, this all has application, all right? I need to give you some footing so you understand what's happening. So, they voted against God. They didn't vote against Moses. They voted against God. God said, you can because of who you are. They said, we can't because of who we are. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute, all right? What they believed about themselves. What happens in your life is if you forget whose you are or who you are in him, you will live as if you are somebody that you ain't. Right? My story. I lived as somebody I wasn't. I lived as the football player. That's not who I was. It wasn't my identity. That was some, some hobby, some pastime that I did. It wasn't supposed to be my identity, okay? Now, they are now got to the place where God has said 40 years. They've walked 40 years in about eight square miles. Doesn't that sound fun? You know what they did during that 40 years? They walked, but there was one other thing they did continually. Died. And so they walked and they died. Everybody 20 years old and up died. And there was a large portion of the people who were 20 years old and up. So everyone died. And so you imagine uh, 40 years. I'm only 46. 40 years of walking and funerals. Doesn't that sound like a great way to live? When the alternative would have been to trust God and find their identity as his children and walk in his power and authority but they chose to identify as grasshoppers instead. I'll come back to that in just a minute. 
So God has caused, allowed them to wander for 40 years until that generation is dead. And now the young generation is alive. They are uh, from, the, from the oldest there. You do the math. They are 69 years old, right? Uh, 59 years old, rather, right? 19 and down. And so 40 years, they're 59 years old and younger, and they're crossing over the river with Joshua, and they have, and that's what we're going to pick up tonight. Don't you feel like you got a little history tonight? Okay, let's stand to our feet now and find out what happens, okay? Quickly, because I'm ready to read. Y'all glad to be here tonight? I am too. I'm already excited about what God's going to do. Let's read 10 verses of Joshua chapter 5. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, uh, in the Canaanites, he says, when they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their, their hearts, help me somebody, they melted. Now, now you understand this is not a literal term where they melted like, you know, fell out on the ground. It means that the courage and strength and, and domineering uh, attitude they had towards God's children because they identified God's children as failures. They identified God's children as slaves of Egypt. And they had, a, they had courage to whip their tails anytime they wanted, but not now. Now, when they thought about the children of Israel, what happened? Their hearts melted. They lost courage. They no longer felt like the upper hand on God's people. And there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the heel of, of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them Here's why I did it. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come up out of Egypt. For all the people who came out, okay, when, remember when they came out of Egypt, all those guys had been circumcised. Now, let me pause. Circumcision was a physical sign in the Jewish male that they were in covenant relationship with Yahweh, Jehovah, God of the, uh, of the Bible, right? And so it was a covenant. Remember, we talk about covenant lately. Covenant is an agreement between two parties where both parties have responsibility. So they were, part of their responsibility was the circumcision. It, it, it identified them as in covenant relationship with God. And they had not been doing that. And all the people who came out, verse 5, had been circumcised. But all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed. They died because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers, that he would uh, give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. About three to four times he says, uh, circumcision, uncircumcision in about three verses. There's, you need to pay attention. When God repeats something, when he says something over and over, there's specific detail we need to get out of it, okay? We'll come back to it. Verse number eight. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now, Gilgal means to roll away. Uh, it means to take something that was and to peel it back, to, to, to make, to change, to roll it away. All right, and I'll explain a little more about that in a minute. Verse 10. Now, the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. All right? Now, let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a minute? And what I want to do is invite you right now to ask the Lord to open your heart to the Scripture. Would you just do that? Pray that on your own right where you are. Lord, open my heart to the Scripture. Give me understanding. I want to leave out of here with it settled in my heart and mind. All right? Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to preach. I thank you for this group of people. God, it blows my mind. The first Wednesday night I preached at Hickory, there were eight people in the room. And look what you've done, God. And I, and I humbly praise you and bless your name tonight because you're good and wonderful and magnificent. And so tonight, would you again preach through me, Lord? Put on display the power of your Holy Spirit, how you can use a simple nobody like me 
And God, as you do that, give hope to the people that, God, you can use anybody, anywhere, anytime. But also, Lord, preach to me. I need to take in the truth tonight as much as anybody in the room or anybody outside the room. So, Lord, as you preach through me, and my words be your words, I pray that our ears also would be tuned in to your still small voice. Lord, you know we're easily distracted. Would you, would you, would you captivate our attention tonight? Lord, would you cause us to participate tonight? Lord, would you remove every distraction tonight? God, would you bind the enemy from this place? And Lord, may we all leave out of here transformed by the power of your word. And we pray it now in the power and the authority of Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, amen, amen. I get to pray in y'all and I forget that I'm preaching next, you know. Uh, isn't it good to talk to God in prayer? Uh, I love to talk to him. Uh, let me give you again the title, Identity, Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Here's the main idea. You ready? Uh, write this in your notes. Very simple statement, but very, very profound at the same time. Uh, God's people identify with him. Did you get that? Did you write it somewhere? Uh, it's already written there, so maybe you'll circle it. Maybe you'd underline it. Maybe you'd draw some stars and rainbows over it like some of y'all do, you know, to highlight it in your mind. Uh, what does it say? Read the main idea with me. It says, God's people identify with him. Hey, moms and dads, don't you love it when your children uh, say that they belong to you? Uh, can you imagine what it would feel like if, if and some of you do, uh, what it would feel like if, you're, if your child uh, denied that they were yours? Uh, that, that when someone came to little Johnny and said, uh, I want to know who you belong to. Aren't you so-and-so's son? Uh, no, I'm, I, I don't want anything to do with him. I don't know him. And, and what a pain it would be to our hearts if our children uh, disassociated with us. You know, I, I know the, I've seen the pain of that in, within the lives of people when, 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 when children, maybe they go rogue or rebellious or, or, or maybe the parent goes rogue or rebellious and, and, and that relationship is fractured. Boy, it's a painful thing when the child doesn't identify with the parent. And how much more so must it be when you and I don't identify with our heavenly father? And so tonight, let's consider what it means that God's children, what do they do? They identify with him, all right? We're not ashamed, we identify with him. Now, Roman number one in your notes, back in verse number one, okay? So remember, so it was when the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the, of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, uh, they heard about what God had done. Hey, there was a river and the river dried up for a mile and a half and the people of God walked right over it. And so... Uh, what happened is there was some evidence of a God who they could not see with their own eyes. Y'all tracking with me? Write this in your notes there. Faith is not without evidence. Would you write that down? Faith is not without evidence. Matter of fact, when I share the gospel, I share it with confidence, not in myself, but I share it with confidence because what I'm asking people to believe or who I'm asking them to believe in is not based on me or what I can talk them into, but it's based on the evidence of God and who he is and him sending his son and, and the death and resurrection of Jesus, all historical fact that proves the evidence that God in fact loves man and desires relationship with him. And I preach that and I share that with confidence and people say, well, well what if I don't have the right words to say? That's all the words I need to say and trusting the Holy Ghost to do what he does. So faith is not without evidence. What do I mean? I mean the faith of these uh, Jewish people, these, these people that belonged to God, uh, their evidence, their faith, they believed God and they crossed over the river and it was evidence, not, not just to the believer, not just to the worshiper of Yahweh, but also to those who didn't, his enemies, the Canaanites. You see that? And the kings of the Amorites. And so the faith of the people uh, was displayed before the unbeliever. Do you know that when you walk by faith, you are the evidence of God to an unbelieving world? Do you know that when you choose to live by faith and not by sight, when, when you choose to not be afraid and worried and anxious and bitter and angry, when you choose to not be self-centered, instead selfless, what happens is the evidence of your faith begins to mess with the mind and the heart of the unbeliever. Cause them to question everything they thought they believed and what they've tried to convince themselves about the non-existence of God. You and I become a walking billboard of the evidence of a God who can. I pray that you and I would be that. So uh, faith is not, y'all help me, without evidence. All right, number two, look how quickly we're moving. Number two is found in verses two through six. Now this, you see this is going to be a little more detailed. 
And so let's just kind of talk about that. I'm going to read verse 2 and on down through 6, and we'll just kind of talk about it as we go along. Now, in verse 2, it says, And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, uh, Make flint knives for yourself. Now, now, I'm going to point out some different things through here, so just track with me, okay? Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua did that. All the people who had come out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. All the people in verse five who came out of that land were already circumcised, but they died. And that tells us that they were no longer circumcising their sons in the wilderness. You with me? Which means they were no longer identifying, uh-oh, as the covenant people of God. Uh, I want you to think about how that applies to your life. I wonder if there are some, sometimes in my life and your life, some symptoms, some observable conduct that would say to the world that we're no longer in covenant relationship with God, that we do what we want to do when we want to do it. It's a good question, isn't it? Anybody still out there? Boy, you're making me feel lonely tonight. Some deep truths, isn't it, to begin to really think about. Does my life, does the decisions I make, how I spend my money, where I spend my free time, how I talk about people, how I love my enemy, what do those things say about the covenant relationship I'm in? Or, have I, or does my life look like I have rejected the covenant God's offered to me? Theirs did. They were no longer circumcising their sons. But I just want to make a couple of statements about that. So I want you to write this down. Uh, Roman numeral two, write down disobedience forfeits forfeits God's best. Did you, have you, anybody learned that already? When you, when you disobey God, when you go against God's way, when you, when, when you and I do it our way over his way, what, what ends up happening is we forfeit what God really wants to give us. Anybody know that? Now, what do we find? How do we find that? What did he tell those children of Israel that he wanted for them before they took a vote against him? He said, I want you to go over to this land. And how did he describe it to them? It's flowing with it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good for you, and I'm going to provide the rain for it, and you're going to eat the fruit of it, and it's going to be wonderful, and the vegetables of it. And by the way, uh, you remember that there were long seasons of time in the wilderness where they feasted on the wonderful delicacy of manna over. And, and I imagine it was good for, you know, the first, you know, 10 years probably for breakfast, for brunch, for lunch, for afternoon snack. For evening snack, if you woke up at midnight, you couldn't get it because it had to be like dew in the morning. And so if you saved it, it turned it, 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 it mildewed and turned to sour. And so every day you got to look forward to manna. Some of y'all getting nauseous already just thinking about it, aren't you? And so they have forfeited what God said. I want you to enjoy the grapes and the, and the wonderful delicacies of this new land. That's what I want for you, but you'll have to follow me to get there. And they chose their own way, and boy, what a place that is. They wandered in wilderness, right? They died out in wilderness. Uh, let me just give you a word. It's in, your, it's in your outline there. The word is forfeit. Now, let me tell you when I came to grips with this word. I, by the way, I hate that word. Anybody else? I hate being the, the one who forfeits, and I hate being the one who received the victory because of a forfeit. I enjoy the competition. Anybody else? I never wanted to, to, to say, well, y'all got to win. How? We, we didn't play. Well, they didn't have enough players. Well, then we didn't win. We didn't play each other. I remember about the age of seven, I played baseball in, uh, in Carthage, Mississippi for Citizens Bank. And as we got there one day, I couldn't wait, you know, for the game. I was so excited about it, thought about it all day, you know, at school. And we get there, and we're getting ready in the, tea, in the, in the dugout. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hit the ball and, and just hit the ball, really. Didn't care about throwing and catching. Just couldn't wait to hit the ball. And I remember, I don't remember a whole lot of details, but I remember this. I remember the coach coming over to us and saying, all right, guys, we're about to head home. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 buddy. I've been thinking about this all day. You know, I didn't do good on my spelling bee, on my spelling test with my five spelling words because I wasn't thinking about anything but playing baseball. And now you're telling me, you're telling me that we're not playing baseball. And he's, you know, he, and I didn't say all that. I was, wasn't that smart, but you understand. I revolted in my seven-year-old way, probably cried or something, you know. And I remember him saying, no, we're not playing. Uh, we have to forfeit. We lost because we don't have enough players. I'm telling you, it took me about a week to get over that. You could talk to my mom. My mom said I wouldn't go out in the yard and play. I could not get over the fact that I lost because of an error, because of some slacking without ever having a competition. 
Now listen, the victories that you and I have, what God's best is for us, listen, we don't compete to get it, okay? You tracking with me? But we can, in fact, forfeit it in how he is that we live our lives. Let me direct your attention back to the definition of the word forfeit. Listen to what it says. To lose, which, by the way, anybody here love to lose? Uh, I have never met a person who ever was motivated by losing, ever, not once. So for, to forfeit is to lose or lose the right of something, especially by some error or offense or crime, forfeiting. Now, once you think about in your life, can you think of any particular relationship or any particular area of your life where you have, you can identify it, you're right, you can, not for somebody else, but for you, you can say, because I live this way, I forfeited this. Anybody? Uh, some of us in here would say that we forfeited a marriage, right? Oh, we went silent in the house. Let me just say, right, right, pastor, all right? Some of us would say we forfeited relationships with good friends because of disobedience, not walking with the Lord, right? Anybody amen right there? And some of us forfeited finances, because we didn't go about being generous and giving and trusting the Lord. Uh, some of us would say we forfeited businesses because we didn't go about uh, running our business according to God's principles. Would you agree with me on that tonight? So there's a lot of things in our lives that we can identify and say, yes, I have forfeited some things in this life. They forfeited a land flowing with milk and honey, and, and they wandered in the wilderness for all of that time. Let me give you a verse, Numbers 14, verse 35, because you might be thinking to yourself, this is a terrible punishment and does the, does the punishment fit the crime? Well, let me ask you, what was the crime of the 10 who voted against what Moses said? Now, remember, Moses was a representative of somebody. It wasn't Mississippi. It wasn't Texas. Come on, somebody. He was a representative of, oh, don't say it like you're sad. Moses was a representative of who? God. Moses said, God said, we're going over that river and we're going to go over there and conquer that land. God said so. Now I'm going to send you spies over there to kind of look at the land, check it out. And they came back and they said to God's man, what they say? We're not doing it. We can't do it. Now you might say, well, they should have treated Moses that way. They didn't treat Moses that way. You with me? Read with me. Numbers chapter 14, verse number 35. I, the Lord have spoken this. Now, what did he speak? Their carcasses were going to die in the wilderness. That's what he said. I've spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against Moses. Huh? No, against me. In this wilderness, they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Because God said, I'm asking you to trust me and to act on your faith. Because faith without works is dead. God said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I want you to experience the wonderful milk and honey, but you're going to have to trust me to get there. And when it got time to get there, they didn't trust him and they voted against not Moses, but they voted against God. I wonder if you've ever voted against God. I, I know in my life I have, I'm sad to say that. I want you to think for just a minute about what that means. Okay. And how that looks and let me move on. Number one in your list there, I want you to notice in verse number two, specific thing, disobedience affects, okay? Disobedience affects others. It's not just you and it's not just me. Have you learned that the hard way like I have? Uh, my, my decision to disobey God uh, does not just affect me. It affects everybody around me, okay? So disobedience affects others. Where do I find that? Verse number two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise. Now, we don't have to go into the details of circumcision, right? Yes, right? Okay, we just know where we're at. And, uh, and so listen, he said, make these flint knives. Now, a flint knife was made out of rock. We won't go into more detail than that. Uh, for himself and circumcised who? Oh, oh, the who? Sons of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. Now, uh, these sons were now from the age of what? 59 on down, okay? Circumcision in its original commandment in the covenant relationship was supposed to be done. Does anybody know what day? The eighth day. Listen to you guys, the eighth day. You may not have known that. Write that somewhere, the eighth day. 
When circumcision is done to a baby on the eighth day, the baby has no memory of that circumcision. Anybody tracking with me? Uh, though there may be some pain involved, obviously, the child is okay and he's all right, and he heals up fine, everything's good. But for a 59-year-old, now let's just be careful for a minute, think about it. Whose fault was it that the 59-year-old and on down was having to be circumcised as an adult? Their father's. Their fathers. Because their fathers were not living out their faith in the reality of saying, Now, we see how big they are. Well, they're giants. They've got fortified walls, but none of that stuff matters to us because the just live by faith and not by sight. Our eyes tell us one thing, our ears tell us one thing. We see, we perceive, but our faith says, God said the land is ours, so we're walking over the river. But they didn't do that. And those daddies most likely felt like they were making a wise decision based on logic, based on the information that their brains could muster because we're really intelligent beings. But God challenges our intelligence oftentimes and says, will you trust me in this? And if you'll trust me in this in action, you will receive the very best that I want for you. But when we don't, we forfeit it. And our sin doesn't just affect us. Y'all help me, it affects others. Our children suffer from the sins in our life. Now, I'm not talking about God intentionally zaps them with a lightning bolt, right? But because of our decisions, there are inerrant consequences that come. In other words, if a husband and wife are divorced, God's not going to punish the child because of mom and dad's decision, but the the child will, will suffer because it's consequences of not being in what God designed was the best for the child for mom and dad to be together. Y'all tracking with me? All right, I'm starting. Don't you love him more? When you began to understand he's not just a mean God up there with a lightning bolt trying to zap you, but he's a loving father who wants the very best for you. That's what he desires. So, all right, let me move a little further. Uh, Disobedience affects others. Uh, The sons uh, were circumcised as an adult. I'm just telling you something. I'd be mad at my daddy, wouldn't you? Let me move on. Number two. Number two. Write this in your notes. Unbelief, Unbelief is at the core of all disobedience, unbelief. When you sin, when I sin, it is directly related to what? Come on, say it like you you mean it, all right? Unbelief. You say, now wait a minute, go back to the garden. God said, eat of all the trees, all the bushes, all the different things. Listen to my voice. I created you. You're my creation. I have a relationship with you. I love you. Eat of all these nuts and berries and fruits and all of this stuff. Only don't eat of the one, right? And if they had believed that with their whole heart, no serpent could have ever talked them out of following the plans and will of a loving father who had already proven who he was. But because they didn't believe God at his word, they acted on unbelief and rebelled against the commands of God. I want you to consider that for just a minute because that's heavy, isn't it? Every time I commit sin, at the core of that is unbelief. I want you just to wrestle with that a little bit. That changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, God says, if you do this, this is going to happen. I don't really believe that. Let me just try it. And oh, what a trap the enemy sets, doesn't he? When he uses our pride and our logic against us, uh, really he proves that there are areas of our life. So, so what you and I ought to pray not is, is not that we would quit sinning, but instead that God would help us to believe him and take him at his word so that we believe it in such a way that we won't wrestle with should we or shouldn't we, uh, will we or won't we, it'll be a settled issue because of who God is, all right? Let me move on if I can. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. I'm gonna prove it to you from this particular incident, all right? Numbers 13, 31 to 33. It's already on, look at that. You don't have to look it up. Isn't that good? Huh? Y'all smile at me now. That's good. You just look right down and read it. All right, here we go. Beginning in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, y'all read it with me. We are to go up against the people. This is the 10 reporting. For they are stronger than we, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. And this is what they said. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. That's some big dudes. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like somebody has traded their identity. 
somebody has not believed that, that they are the children of God. Somebody has forgotten that they have somebody backing them as long as they're following his command and lead that cannot be stopped, has not ever been rivaled or equal and never been challenged. But because they did not, listen to what the Bible says. And we were, here's our identity, here's who we are. They're giants, they don't, they don't even have a God. I wish you'd hear me tonight. The people in the land didn't even have a God. They were false gods. They couldn't do anything for them. They'd rejected the true God. And the ones who represented the true God said they're giants without a God. And we, y'all help me, what are we? What do they say themselves as? Grasshoppers. Now, I'm going to prove to you that it was how they saw themselves, their identity. They said we were like grasshoppers in, oh, it wasn't how the giants saw them. It was how they saw themselves. Let me ask you a question. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a, somebody who struggles with alcohol? Do you see yourself as somebody who struggles with anger? Do you see yourself as somebody who struggles with sexual purity? Do you see yourself as someone who struggles with generosity? I mean, how do you see yourself? Somebody who's too tall, too short, somebody who talks too much, too, too less, somebody who or when I ask you, how do you see yourself? When you think about the core of how you see yourself, do you, is the first thought that strikes your mind is a child of almighty God. And I'm afraid too often in the daily life, a grind of life, you know, with all the choices we face, all the giants. How many of you know we face giants in our lives? They're different, but we face giants. How many of you realize that most of the time, the reason we have anxiety and worry and fear is because we've lost our identity in our mind, in our sight of who we are in him. We view our problem, our situation, and we say, oh, it's impossible. And we forget that we belong, we're the purchased possession of the one who parts the Red Sea without breaking a sweat. The one who dries up the Jordan River for a mile and a half and lets a million people walk across it. And somehow in our own lives, we say, well, that was a long time ago, but here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is every single one of us can say that God has done some miraculous things in our own lives. Would you, would you raise your hand if God's done some miraculous thing in your life? Hold it up high. Don't limp that arm like you're not proud that God's done something. Hold it up high. Hold it up high as you can, straight up in the air. And I want you to glance around the room. Just glance around the room just now. If you'll notice just about everybody in this room would say that God has done something miraculous in their life. And yet, and yet, we still face things that we doubt we can overcome because we lose our identity in the moment, that we are not children of God. We're left to our own faculties, and the truth of the matter is we're not enough by ourselves. So we need to, somebody in the house needs to re-identify tonight. Somebody in the house needs to be reminded who you are and whose you are, who it is that you serve. Let me move on if I can, all right? So unbelief is at the core of all disobedience, all right? Now, here's a question I wrote down. I want you just to ponder it. Who wants to sign up to wander around aimlessly until you die? Well, how'd you spend your life? Well, I just wandered around in circles and then I died. Nobody wants to do that. Man, we want a purpose and a direction. We want someone or something worth living for. And I challenge you tonight to consider it to be the God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. He is worth everything. Number three, we said there are three things here about disobedience forfeits God's best. Number three, sin leads us from what identifies us as God's children. Sin doesn't bring us closer to God. How many of you know that? Sin leads us further away. Now, how can I prove that in the text? Look in verse five. Now, remember, God had already said that part of their identifying mark as a, as a covenant people of God was, come on, we can say it, circumcision. One of the identifying marks that identified his people as belonging to him was circumcision. Now, I'm going to prove to you that when they, when they did not believe God, when the sin of disobedience, of unbelief, kept them from crossing the river, that it didn't lead them closer, it led them farther away. And it was proven, listen, not in their church attendance, but in their actions. One specific one. They no longer circumcised their sons. They didn't do what God said do to identify them as his people. 
Why? Because the sin of unbelief that said we're not going, we're not doing what God said do. And it never leads us closer to him. It always leads us further away. And boy, I'm going to tell you, you're talking about a lonely place when a believer has been close with God and when a believer's walked in obedience. Listen, there is no more lonely place and miserable spot than when a child of God loses their identity, falls into sin, instead of repenting, keeps on going. It is the most lonely, miserable spot for a person to be. And I'm so glad that he still comes after us even when we find ourselves there. I've been there. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been there, and it's a terrible place to be. Let me move forward just a little bit, okay? So sin leads us away. Uh, they no longer identified through circumcision as God's people. Why? Because they disobeyed in unbelief. Number three, Roman number three in your notes. This is going to be seven and eight, verse seven and eight, Joshua five. Write this in your notes, fill these blanks in. Identity is key to victory. Identity is key to victory. How many of you want to live in victory in a way? Seven folks. I don't know what to do with the rest of y'all. I might as well close my Bible, Tina, and just, just go to the house. I can't imagine a people who don't want to live in victory. I'm going to ask that one again because I know you're in deep thought. How many of the hundreds and hundreds of people in this room would like to live your life in victory? Amen. I don't, I don't want to get my tail kicked by the enemy. I don't want to keep falling to my endemic nature. Who wants to do that? I want to walk in victory. And I'm not talking about like winning on the ball field. I'm talking about winning in marriage and winning in parenting and winning as a friend and winning as a child of God and winning as God's called me to pastor. I want to win for the glory of God. L listen to what happens here in verse 7 through 10. And Joshua circumcised their sons. You see that in verse 7? Uh, whom he raised up in their place. He raised them up in the place of their daddies. Their daddies didn't do it well. God allowed them to die. He raised the sons up. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Verse 8, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their place in the camp till they were healed. Now, there are two things I'm going to talk about here in identity, identity here, all right? Number one is circumcision. Okay. Number one is circumcision. They just crossed the river. Okay. First thing they do, now, up on top of the hill is a city. And the city is named, if you know it, say it, Jericho. And Jericho has pulled up the gates, or they've lowered the gates. They've, they've let the windows down. I know the windows are a little different, but you understand what I mean. They've fortified their city. Why? Why? Because they're in there preparing their battle strategy. No, they're scared to death. That's what verse 1 told us. People are scared. Their hearts melted. They don't want to fight with them no more. Why? Because God's proven who he is through the drying up of the river. And so they're thinking, hey, if they serve a God who can manipulate flowing water, we probably better not fool with them. But what they didn't know is that the attack was coming to them, right? So let's just say that we're all there. We've just crossed over the river. By the way, in the middle of that, they piled up 12 large stones as a memorial in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the river of God's provision and faithfulness. They cross over the river, and the first thing that they do, right, they sharpen their swords. No, they sharpen flint rocks. The first thing they do is stretch their hamstrings because they got to run up the hill. No. First thing they do is sit down and map out their battle strategy. No, no. First thing they do wish y'all would get this, is they were circumcised. It don't sound like a very smart battle plan, does it? Unless you understand that your only victory is going to come when you identify as God's people. If you want to have your tail kicked for the rest of your life with sin, then just identify with the world and just sort of come in here and braze through a service and you know, come every once in a while and really don't commit to following Jesus and spending time in his word. Don't worry about all that, but you will guarantee you'll live the rest of your life being defeated over and over and over again. But, but if you'll identify with him, if you'll, if you'll put all your eggs, I love to say it this way, all your eggs in one basket, you'll find out that Jesus will provide for you daily, not just the victory that gets you to heaven, but daily victory over the struggle of sin. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Number two, another, the second identifying mark is found down in verse number 10. So bring your eyes. Now, I know we skipped nine, but I'm coming back. Just hang on. Verse 10, now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Second identifying mark is God's children. They celebrated what? Passover land. No other nation celebrated the Passover meal except God's people. Two identifying marks before they did anything, circumcision and Passover meal. Now, you remember the Passover? Passover was when they were back in bondage. 
Passover was back before they left Egypt. Passover was when God said, you take the Passover lamb, the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and if the blood's on the doorpost, the angel of death's going to pass over. The judgment of God is going to pass over that house. But if it's not, the firstborn's going to die. And God used that to deliver his people to get them out of Egypt and, and, and bring them to the promised land, right? And so what I want you to understand about that, no other nation celebrated that. It was an identifying celebration that God has been faithful and delivered us already. First thing they did before they did anything to Jericho, they identified, they re-identified. Let me say it this way. They re-identified as the people of God. Maybe tonight you need to re-identify. Maybe tonight the world has confused you or situations and circumstances have caused you to drift and your life looks like somebody in the middle of the road that you really hadn't made a decision either way. You say, well, I go to church. Well, man, I, I'm, uh, that make you a Christian. That make you a follower of Jesus. He didn't, he, this is a benefit of the family of God to gather. So I would introduce something like maybe making disciples. Now, there he goes again with that. Are you making disciples? If you're not, you're middle of the road. And by the way, there is no middle of the road. There's no neutral ground in this battle. And obedience looks like I'm going to make disciples. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell others what I know, what I've learned so far. I may not know a whole lot, but I'm going to tell them what I've learned so far. And I'm going to help others to grow. And I'm going to have people helping me grow. And that's what discipleship's all about. That's why it's so important. So identifying identity is the key to victory. Circumcision and the Passover meal was that identifying march. Now, you and I identify with him some different ways, don't we? Uh, let me say to you, for the first way mentioned in the New Testament of identifying with Christ, it is baptism. Romans chapter 6. If you're here tonight and you've been born again and you've not followed through in baptism, there ought to be a deep conviction in your heart that you have chosen not to identify with Jesus. It ought to eat at your heart. It ought to keep you awake at night. Somebody said, well, it won't keep me out of heaven. No, you're right, it won't. But you have to ask yourself, what would keep you? What would be so powerful to keep you from publicly identifying with Jesus? You say, well, I was saved, you know, 20 years ago. I never followed through in baptism. You need to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism. All right? Now, after that, how does a person identify with Christ? Well, a person would then strive to live his life according to the model Jesus lived. How do I do that? By trying harder? Oh, come on now. One more time. Do I do that by trying harder? No, I'll fall harder. I do that by drawing nearer to him. How do I do that? Spend time in prayer. I spend time in his word. I, I, I submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I gather as the church every opportunity that I get so that I can encourage others and others can encourage me and I can grow and learn in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This thing is not a game, Amen. It's an authentic relationship that is not weekend visitation, but it's true surrender. And oh, the benefit. I wish somebody smiled tonight. Oh, the benefit I have received from walking with Jesus. Finally, number four, and we're going to close this thing. All right, write this in your notes. Somebody said you thought you were going to get that last blank field, and here it is. God can redeem our past. Oh, mercy. Any of you have a reputation in the past? I wonder sometimes about, I can't tell, I don't know many of y'all like a long time ago. I wonder what your reputation was. There's some folk in this room knew what my reputation was. There's some folk in here that can tell you God can redeem our past. All right, let me show you. Look in verse 9. So the Lord said to Joshua, this day, the day that they, they circumcised and enjoyed the Passover meal, what did they do? They re-identified. On this day, God said, I have rolled away. Oh, y'all are packing up. You didn't even read that. <laughs> now, come on now. We got just a couple more minutes. Here it is. You ready? Now, stay with me. All eyes up here. Y'all folding and tucking it. Hang on. All right? We got more doors to get out tonight. You're not going to stand in line. Here we go. The day that I have, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What is he saying? You were known by the world as slaves. You were known by Egypt and all the nations, the Canaanites, the Moabites. You were known by the Amorites. You were known by all the people all over the world as the less thans, the looked down on, the rejects, those that had no power and no authority and no stature and no reputation except that you were slaves of another nation. And God said, now that you've re-identified with me on this day, I've rolled away there because I've changed your reputation. They're about to know when you walk around one time for six days, 
right? And the seven times, seven, seven days on the seventh time on the seventh day, when the walls come tumbling down and you didn't touch the wall, your reputation's about to change. I'm about to whip some tails through y'all is what he's saying to them. And they're going to know that you're not the less thans, but that you are my people. Now, I wonder, I wonder, listen, I wonder tonight, by the way you've been living in the world, if people who work with you, who people who live with you, your wife, your husband, your children, the people who live next door to you as they watch you live your life, the people that work in the cubicle beside you or the office beside you, I wonder if they see in you a life of victory in Jesus. You see, because Jesus purchased for us with his own blood so much more than heaven. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, that's going to happen when I die. And yes, that's wonderful because he's there. But he's purchased for me some things that I'm supposed to be enjoying now. Such things as, you ready? Peace. Contentment. Joy. Sometimes I'm amazed at how joyless professing Christians can be. He's purchased for me forgiveness so that I can forgive others. He's extended to me grace so that I can give grace to other people. I, I wish you'd pick up tonight what I'm putting down. Listen, what I'm trying to say to you is when you and I live a life of unbelief that leads to disobedience, listen, what we do is we say, thank you, Jesus, for suffering and agony to buy for me peace, but I'm going to trade that in and I'm just going to worry. I'm, thank you, Lord, that you, you bought with precious blood and sweat and tears and suffering my peace, but I'm going to trade that in and let Fox News ruin my peace. It must be a hard thing for God to watch me and you trade in what Jesus so painfully bought because I don't know about you, but my children, I want them to have victory. I want my children to walk in in, in the favor of God, to experience the best that God has for them. And I know he wants that for you, and he wants that for me. And the truth of the matter is, it's all about our identity. So here's what I want to do. I invite you to bow with me for just a minute. Would you bow your head for just a moment? Two things tonight in relation to identity. Number one, if you're here tonight, you've never been born again. Your identity is lost separated from God. But his invitation to you tonight by faith is to trust in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And as you trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection so much that you today would be willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'm opening my heart. I want you, Jesus, to come. I want to receive you, not as a guest or a co-pilot, but I want to receive you, Lord Jesus, as Lord of all. That's salvation, friend. You got to turn away from some things to turn to him. He'll meet you right there. You can do it right where you're seated. You can do it right there at the nurse's station, driving down the road, listening in a different country. Right now, wherever you are, you can do that right where you are. Second thing is this. There are some in the room, some that are listening out there, some that will listen to the podcast later, that you have identified with Christ through, through faith and surrender and confessing Jesus as Lord, but some things have stolen your identity. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's unforgiveness. I don't know what it is tonight, but I know that some of these things can be pinned on me and you, and we assume them as our identity. And then we, and then we live a life of defeat. And Christ, listen, Christ paid too high a cost. He paid too, would you agree with me? He paid too high a cost for us to be defeated in our minds and in our lives. So tonight, maybe you need to re-identify with him. You say, well, how can I do that? Well, there are a lot of ways you can do that. You can turn away and say, Lord, I, I, I'm turning away from that. I've allowed work to be my identity. I've allowed sports to be, I've allowed, I've allowed what my title is. I've allowed what I've been pursuing to be my identity. I've put all my energy in my career, what I want to be, and I've not made that yet, or business that I wish I had, but I don't have. And Lord, I've, I've let all my identity be in my marriage and what my husband says, what my wife says, or what, or I've let my identity be as a parent, and all I'm focused on is my children being pleased. And, and, and Lord, I've not been focused on being your child. Sir, you need to be reminded, if you've been born again, you're a son of the living God. 
And ma'am, you need to be reminded tonight that if you've been born again, you are a daughter of the living God. Listen, it's time for us to start living that way. If God be for us, somebody help me. I'm going to say it again. If God be for us, how are we going to tremble in the face of our enemies? How are you and I going to worry about a diagnosis or what tomorrow holds? I want to say that the altar's open. Matter of fact, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet still in the spirit of prayer. Brother Gerald's already down front. Brother Jimmy and Miss Renee are coming down. Tina's going to help me. <clears throat> Ladies, there's some women down front if you want to just come and have prayer. Maybe you're here tonight, you've invited Jesus to be Lord. You want to come down and share that with us so we can celebrate with you. Oh, there ought to be some coming to this altar tonight saying, oh God, I want to re-identify as your child. I've allowed the world to put chains and titles and thoughts and the enemy to whisper in my ear. And tonight I'm walking free. In Jesus' name, I'm walking free. Come on down. There's some willing to receive. You'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. How many of you would say that God is speaking directly to your heart tonight? Would you just slip your hand up in the air? Isn't he a good God? Directly to your heart and your life. He loves you. What will your response be? Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this place. We thank you that you're a personal Savior. Lord, I pray you accomplish your plan now. In Jesus' name, amen.